Today, I will be preaching on Taoism, but I'm also, and at the same time, preaching the auction sermon, which is that last year, most years, I, in the church auction, which is coming up next month, I offer a sermon. I haven't really decided whether to do that because I'm going to be leaving uh, halfway through. So, but um, but this last year, uh, Lassie Jordan bought the sermon, and uh, she um, wanted me to preach on this subject. So, a little more about that later. I have always thought of Taoism since I first discovered it in college, in a class by Mr. J. Gomer Williams, I've always thought of Taoism as the crown jewel of Eastern wisdom. Um, Simple, down-to-earth, accessible. Um, There are many translations, and some of them seem almost like they're not the same book. The legend of the compiling of it was Lao Tzu means the old one. So it's, it's, scholars think of it as probably a compilation of pre-literate wisdom that, um, were put into this form. And this, but the story is that this old fellow, the old one, Lao Tzu was, uh, he had been a state librarian in the capital. And, uh, but after many years, he kind of gave up on civilization and was abandoning it for the Western mountains where he was off to, uh, move. And as he came to the gate of the, to the passes high in Tibet, he was enjoined by the gatekeeper to write down his wisdom because a guy could tell, well, this guy knows something before he retired. And so he said, okay, I'll do it. And he returned in three days later with these 81 poems in the Tao Te Ching. I was charmed when I talked with Lassie to, about her, her request, uh, and that I read and share the book, A Thousand Names for Joy by Byron Katie. Uh, Lassie explained that Stephen Mitchell, the noted religious scholar, was her partner in life. Did I know him? And last, he explained that he was the foremost translator of the Tao Te Ching, which kind of amused me since there are well over a 100 translations out there, including beautiful ones by uh, um, Witsi Chan, uh, with whom I was introduced to Taoism, uh, Santa Fe Bon Vivant poet, Witter Binner, my own favorite, um, Ursula Le Guin, another favorite, um, John C.H. Wu, highly regarded, and yes, Stephen Mitchell too, among others, including, here's one by Jacob Trapp, a late colleague of mine. Consider this, too. They are frequently so different that it's hard to believe they come from the same place. Think, for instance, of the opening lines of Chapter 3. 
Not exalting the gifted prevents quarreling. Not collecting treasures prevents stealing. Not seeing desirable things prevents confusion of the heart. Or, if you overesteem great men, people become powerless. If you overvalue possessions, people begin to steal. Or, if you love accumulation, gain the increase every day. Thieves and robbers will be waiting just to take it all away. Or the final one of the these four that I went looking through here. If you toss compliments around freely, people will waste your time trying to impress you. If you give things too much value, you're going to get ripped off. Just to begin with, an even deeper question. What, after all, is Tao? One scholar will call it the way, or the way and its power. Others say logos, or reason, or potentiality. Some call it the profound and eternal female, the primary program of life, the universal pattern or cosmic organizing principle. We all know the symbol for the Tao, the interlocking black and white, yin and yang tadpoles representing the universal polarities recognized throughout life. Light and dark, male and female, sowing and reaping, sorrow and joy. The yin and yang, light and dark halves express the explicit duality of polar opposite thinking. The Tao as a whole expresses the implicit unity behind it, that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and and an openness to the forces that create and uphold life as affirmed in the first source of our UU principles and purposes covenant. You can approach unity experientially, you can, uh, but you can't describe it in words. That's why the meditation masters will always say, you know, settle your mind, sit still, uh, and just meditate. Well, the, the novice asks questions, well, what is this enlightenment? The master will just say, meditate, meditate. Meditate. Because you can approach a feeling of being caught up in the oneness of creation, have an experience of unity with the all, but it defies description. As written in the opening couplet of Lao Tzu's opening chapter, the Tao that can be told of is not the eternal Tao. You can't talk about it. It's It's unapproachable in language. That's because as soon as we use natural language, we automatically are stuck in the subject-predicate distinction. Something is this, and ergo, it is not that. So a person can have a mystical unitary experience, but as soon as you try to describe it, it's over. And you're back in the world of subjects and predicates and all other polarities, categories of thought that before long people begin to think of as real. That what they see out there, what the, the categories, the, the nouns, um, are, are totally real. 
uh, when in fact they're but a description, your description of reality, not reality at all, just one's own description, which before long and all too often most of us get trapped inside until we forget that we're the authors and originators of the world. We contend with it, sure, it contends, but we are not its victims. We're co-creators of the world we see. We, and if we choose to be co-creators by recognizing who we are, Lewis Carroll keeps asking, who are you? Reality, the really real, is antecedent to all categories. It's vital, that is, it's alive, it's in constant transformation, and according to Byron Katie, it's conscious. In fact, it's total consciousness, a consciousness that permeates through everything across the entire interdependent and interconnected universe. Now, it was uh, the Beatles, Bob Dylan, and the whole youth culture movement of the 60s that spurred my interest in Eastern religions. It has never waned. I remember thinking to myself, following some psychedelic experiences my senior year at college, whoa, these guys, Jesus and Socrates and the Buddha, clearly must have been on to something. Byron Katie and Stephen Mitchell are both about my age and became equally turned on at about the same time. And to that same something, direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures that moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces that create and uphold life. Taoism is very ancient. It contests, well, maybe dances is a better word. It, it interacts with Confucianism as the two taproots of Chinese thought and culture. And uh, oversimplifying things, Confucianism focuses on proper conduct and social obligation. Taoism, meanwhile, is more mystical and more whimsical, too, playful almost. The human condition is inherently paradoxical, say the Taoists. There's nothing one can do to make it any safer or more predictable, so don't bother even trying. But you can make it saner by being focused and keeping things simple. They also follow and recommend the principle of Wu Wei, sometimes translated non-intervention or non-action, which both imply passivity, I think a better term captures it best. Not forcing. Not forcing. Don't push the river. Go with the flow. Or more accurately, don't go against the dynamics and exigencies of the current moment. Pay attention. Wu-Wi is kind of like judo. The skillful martial artist does not force his or her opponent to fail, to fall down. They wait until their opponent is overextended or off balance, and then with minimal effort, they let their opponent bring themselves down, not forcing. Wu-Wei. Water, 
which hardly ever forces, is a favorite symbol of Tao, for it always humbly seeks the lowest level, mingling there with the lowly and the meek. Byron Katie's book, A Thousand Names for Joy, is a devotional, that is, a book for helping one along on their spiritual path. Most devotionals have a suggested way to read them, to understand the work through the material, often a calendar with corresponding assignments to help the reader regularly reflect and meditate on, literally to chew over, the ideas being presented. The Tao Te Ching has 81 chapters, poems, or serial entries. I'm not quite sure what to call them. And Byron Katie has 81 corresponding reflections, one on each entry. Basically, she offers her book as a model on how to reflect effectively and engage with the central text of Taoism, a model that can generate insight and strength of heart. So it's kind of a how-to book on introductory Taoism spiritual practice. Lassie has found it extremely helpful. Clearly, Byron Katie has as well, inspiring others to take up the work, as she calls it, of everyday spiritual practice that she outlines in the appendices at the back of the book. Now, I love the Tao Te Ching and feel refreshed by its passages whenever I read them and meditate upon them. So I think I will follow Lassie's lead. In the late 90s, I followed a spiritual practice of reading the Psalms one every few mornings for a couple of years. I read all 150 twice, but alas, then I quit after 9-11 when I became strung out on NPR's War and Peace Report. But I miss it. Now, thanks to Lassie Jordan, I am thinking of reading Lao Tzu every morning and picking that up as a complementary spiritual practice to my earlier reading of the Psalms. All spiritual practices are helpful and nourish the soul. The best ones, certainly the best ones to begin with, or and easy to do. Recording one's dreams, 15 minutes of yoga a day, journaling, saying grace before supper, going over every morning or every night that for which you are grateful and writing it down or saying it out loud, keeping the Sabbath. 